Here's the thing. I am very danger prone and I do not know. Um, so, <laughs> so I just woke up one day and I couldn't bend my finger. Um, and so here we are. And earlier in the summer, I sprained my ankle because I decided I wanted to go roller skating. Um, so Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Natalia, back for another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I am so incredibly jazzed. I can't express to you how much. If you told me I would get to talk to them, I would have called you a liar and told you to shame the devil. Um, I get to talk with Lisa Traeger and Kara Clank, writers, comedians, actresses, and hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. Do you guys want to say hello? Hello. <laughs> Great to be here. And forever, we're both wearing gray sweatshirts without even planning. And top knots. Look at us. And top- <laughs> well, they're on the West Coast, so they get an excuse to kind of just be, like, super comfy. <laughs> yeah, everyone says it's uh, more casual out here. Yes. Yes. And I can't wait for the day that I can, too, be casual every day. <laughs> Are people really dressing up in Connecticut? I feel like they're a little more put together, or like their athleisure is more put together. Mm. Then, wait, then, where are you in Connecticut? Have we talked about this? No, I. So I know you're from Connecticut, and I remember that I was like, oh, yes, um, someone will understand. <laughs> um, I live in Newington, Connecticut. Oh, okay. What's that? Is that near Hartford? Or yeah, I live right on the West Hartford border. Oh, yeah, because I went to Trinity. So oh, okay. College in Hartford. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, what, 15, 20 minutes away from there? Cool. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just moved home. I was in D.C., um, and then I plan on moving to L.A., but I was like, I can move home where I don't have to pay rent. Right. For a little bit. Smart. Smart. And D.C. is not cheap. No. For nothing. <laughs> no, nowhere great is cheap. Yes. No, it's so, it's very expensive, and I mean, my so my last apartment, I was living in the sunroom, and while I loved my little sunroom, you know, you couldn't fit a yeah. desk. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a lot, there was a lot going on in that time. You a lot of vitamin D, but you weren't necessarily able to... Spread your wings. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of time is spent in the living room or at other friends' apartments. Um, so yeah, I, so I just moved home. And um, where, what, what part of Connecticut did you grow up in? I grew up in. Um, it, well, I was. I first uh, moved to Stamford, Connecticut, for a little while, and then I. But I mostly grew up in New Canaan, Connecticut. New Canaan. Oh, so, okay. Like, You're on the like other side. Town for yeah, it's more of a commuter town for uh, the city. But I went to college for four years in Hartford and. 
totally know that area and yeah connecticut it's such a random state i mean it's it, like fine we don't have any sports teams i don't think we have much of an identity it's just like no. Connecticut. you know we are the nutmeg state yes, um the nutmeg state. i do know that from a project i did in fourth grade <laughs> when i had i did like a thing online where you try to name as many states as you can in a certain amount of time and i only got 49 and i was like what did i forget what did i forget and it was connecticut oh no i mean honestly fair like we are just a suburb like the state yeah. itself is just a suburb yeah pretty much there's know, no like most of the cities in connecticut are struggling <laughs> very <laughs> much so very so, much so yeah. well my friend dated a billionaire's stepson and he had an ice skating rink in his house <laughs> in greenwich but oh okay, okay. I don't well think he's struggling but i mean uh, but that's greenwich that's like yeah. <laughs> i don't know the inner working there's like every time I tell someone I'm like from Connecticut, they're like, "Oh, you must be wealthy," and I'm like, "My mom's a teacher." Okay. Oh, well, our friend, our friend Robert Dean, who's a comedian, has a great joke about Connecticut where he's like, "You tell everybody you're from Bridgeport," and he, they're like, "Ooh la la!" And it's like Bridgeport has the highest. Yeah. Like, there's bodies everywhere in Bridgeport. I we lived in Bridge. We lived in Bridgeport when I was like two. And, like, Bridgeport is, we, I remember, like, my dad's car got broken into because we lived there for a little bit. And I, re- I remember this, and I was, like, two or three. And then we swiftly moved just a little, yeah, little yeah. more to suburbia. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm so, like, I can't express to you. I'm so excited to have both of you on. I think both of you are hysterical. You host yeah. one of my favorite podcasts, and you're talking about one of my favorite things, which is SVU. Um, and Lisa, you were on Sam J's show Pause, which I also absolutely adore. Um, I got to interview her for an article I wrote for NBC, and she's just super rad. Um, so I just I just want to hear start by hearing like your guys' experiences. Like, how did you kind of break into the entertainment world? Open mics. I think it's open (laughs) mics. When you want to do stand-up comedy, just kind of like go to bars and wait for hours to do a few minutes of comedy. And then after a few years, people are like, oh, okay, I guess you're rad or funny. And then you get shows and then someone's like, ooh, I'm going to help her get work. And then, you know, time (laughs) flies. It really... Like, starting in Chicago. That's as easy as that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think this could be a lie for a way to make money. Like, I just started going to open mics. I liked all the other comics. I had friends. I had things to do every night. And then all of a sudden, it was, like, my full life. And I couldn't... I, it's just my favorite thing to do. And it's kind of the cheesy thing of, like, just do what you love. And then hopefully things work out. And um, it also... this the quote-unquote struggle never ends. Like, no matter where you think you are, you're just constantly trying to keep working. Like, the goal is always to keep working, so you're always trying to do new stuff and claw your way to consistency. Yeah. It's like in the Joan Rivers documentary, there's, like, a part where she's, like, looking at her calendar, and it's, like, she's just trying to fill up her calendar in a few, like, a few months down the line, and, like, she's Joan Rivers, you know? So even when you think you've hit the top of success, you still have to keep working always. Um, I, I came up, I came to comedy a little bit, um, well, like I came into the entertainment business a little bit roundabout, like I was a page at NBC and then through that I worked at the Olympics and I worked at the USA network where I got to, you know, work on some promos for the marathons, uh, SVU. And, uh, and then well, I ended up- had a million jobs. 
Yeah. <laughs> I under I am the same. Yes, I understand. <laughs> And then, and then I was working at a production company in New York for a while, where where they were actually putting me in stuff and letting me write stuff, and but also I was like, you know, doing other work for them, and so that's kind of how I started getting more like in front of the camera stuff. And then I, uh, at that time, I was doing improv, and then I was like, I don't know, improvs. I love it when when improv's good, it's good, but when it's bad, it's so bad. And I was no, like, someone... I'm gonna start. <laughs> Someone has a joke and it's like improv is just someone a bunch of people ruining your good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I met a bunch of people doing improv and a few of them did stand up and I was like, hey, I want to do stand up and like so I sort of like because people had said to me you should do stand up and I was like saying the same joke over and over again. I'm doing improv, which is magic. <laughs> like you make up a scene on the spot and it never comes back ever again. And I'm then, I mean, I definitely got my. Uh, my head on straight about it and was like oh wait actually stand up is much different than what I thought it was and I started doing it and I loved it and then like Lisa said mics mics I mean I did fucking bringers at the beginning which I don't I don't advise anyone doing it's a scam system but I was dragged into it Uh, but I quickly I quickly realized that you didn't have to do those and so I just yeah I just kept doing comedy and then um yeah writing kind of writing stuff for me came from that and uh, the podcast came, you know, I think that like they gave us a podcast because they loved our idea, but also because we have this comedy background. So everything kind of is a building block to the next thing you want to do. I think you're exactly right, because like I've had, you know, so many different jobs to getting to where I am, which I don't even know really where I am now besides Connecticut. But like, <laughs> but everything is like a, a building block on top of one another. Cause like starting off in journalism, I would have never thought I would veer this way to more like entertainment style stuff, which is what I want to do and love now. And what you're saying about improv like makes me laugh. Cause in college I was very involved in like the theater arts scene and improv and musicals. And we all hung out together. And there was rivalry between uh, it was a it was a playful rivalry between between our two improv troops, and you could tell like if one would bomb, it would kind of like set a tone for like their next show versus the other one bombing in Hollywood set a tone, and they were like very into it, like wow. very into improv was like a big big deal. I got yeah. kicked out of the improv group in college because I got hazed and they got me wasted and then I fell asleep on stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like, isn't that their fault though? Yeah, I don't know. I, they were all senior boys. I was like a freshman girl and I got taken advantage of and kicked out, but I don't think any of them have any careers, so. <laughs> and you're like, look at me now. You see what yeah. I did there? I made something of yeah. myself, so you're welcome. Yeah, no, I remember my friend being by my car being like, that didn't really go well, did it? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> and I don't want to, like, shit on improv. I think improv definitely... Oh, like, not at all. In your stand-up, like, it can definitely help. Like, I, for sure... You can make fun of it, though. It's cheesy. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Cheesy. it's a little more like, you got it. We got each other's back. Great Oh, joke my there. God. Oh my god, at UCB they do do this thing where they go, I've got your back, I've got your back, and they slap each other on the back, and I just, I could never do it. I was always just like, have a good show, have a good show, stay away from me, (laughs) on my back. Like, I just, like, that's so funny that you bring that up, because it's so true. It is, and I think anybody that's done it is like, it is a little bit cheesy. And I have friends that have gotten, like, 
risen to the top of the ranks at UCB and they're like, I realize that I'm a hero within a small bubble. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's not. No, improv, improv is great. Like, like I said, like knew a ton of people at improv. One of my closest friends in college was, she's one of the funniest people I know, like did improv. Like it's great, but it is also very like serious. Like they take it very seriously. Yeah, it's like a can. very, it's a very serious, intense, intense time it was for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's weird when you take, I mean, I guess we take comedy seriously, but you can't take yourself too seriously. I think that's yeah. that, that you want to work hard, but you want to realize that you're a clown or something. <laughs> now, did either of you ever feel like you had like a, a breakthrough moment in your careers? Feeling like, oh, okay, I can, I can actually do this forever. This, you know, I can put away I, my little constantly think I have a breakthrough moment and it's not so I have like hundreds of them hundreds of them I went to the New York comedy Fest, but they all are great like that's the whole thing that I've learned is like the experience is the gift in itself instead of wait like because I would do really cool things and then I would go to family parties and they're like oh are you gonna get something from this are you gonna what, what's gonna happen next I'm like no this is the prize I don't know why we're thinking <laughs> yeah, about yeah, next. yeah yeah I just worked with like um you know Edie Falco that I, I'm not using Edie Falco for something it's like <laughs> so um so I think like New York Comedy Festival I was like this is it baby and I got to go to Ireland from that and that was really, and Scotland uh, and that was fun and then I think Montreal that comedy festival was everything I was like I've made it um and yeah it just keeps happening every every gig is like yeah this is the one baby and it's just it's you know there is no one unless you're cast in like a marvel movie maybe or sure sitcom. if you're in hacks that that's a moment <laughs> <laughs> but this is like what i think that's a really interesting point because i think like for me at least like you know i auditioned for montreal many many times i never got it i'm fine i'm still working it's fine you know but, like, there was this idea that you could have this one thing that was going to, like, change everything. And, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like what Lisa's saying. It's, it, it's, it isn't one thing. It's, like, a bunch of little blocks on top of each other, like we were saying before, that get you to, like, where you're going. And then are you ever really there? Who's to say? And everybody's path there is so different. Like, yes, there is a way that's, like, you get you get Montreal. Then you get comics to watch. Then you get your special. Then you get that. There is that way. And a lot of people have gone that way. But there's also but, a million other ways. You yeah, know? we know multiple people who had Comedy Central half-hour specials that are full-time movers. And there's yeah. nothing bad about being someone that's a mover. I'm just sure. saying, like, none of these moments are going to solidify. You always have to keep working. Even yeah. if you do get a special, you could... that. It might not do No, anything. we know multiple people who have gotten Conan and done their Conan set and then the next day been serving salsa at a restaurant. Like, it's like, and that, there's no shame. Like, I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. the day of, I think, oh, my God, I was on Johnny Carson. My life has changed is, like, it's just different now, you know, and it's going to be different in 10 years. Like, it's going to, you know, everything's just constant. All the ways the different roads to Rome are different is what I'm saying. And there's just, a, like, I don't think anyone should, like, hear anybody on a podcast and be like okay this is the way I have to do it you know what I mean because like it's just there's there's a thousand different ways and we know people that are I mean don't there uh, didn't Michelle Wolf like never even do Montreal and now she's she like one did. Of the biggest, or who, who is it oh, did. She never did it like there's people that have never done Montreal and now are huge comics you know mm-hmm. so it's but like, 
Michelle did it when she was already writing on Seth Meyers, so it's like, okay, you guys really don't have your pulse on the new one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This woman's making money doing this. Like, she doesn't need this fest, but... Yeah, like, Eliza Schlesinger got that festival after she had one last comic standing. She had won it. And it's like, here's a new face. (laughs) You're like, I mean, her face has been new for ten years now, but sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, just doing it, and then some people pop, and then some people, you know, takes long. Like, everyone's career looks different. Yeah. Does that make you nervous? Like, do you have intense anxiety about that? Because you feel like you can't stop working? (laughs) 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 No, so one of my family friends, we were doing, like, a bonfire during the pandemic, and he goes, aren't you scared you're going to be irrelevant without performing this year? And it's like, Yeah. Why would you say that to me? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, anytime I'm perform, I'm like, I wonder if I could waitress again. And I look at the waitresses at the computer and I'm like, I think I can do it. <laughs> if I had to do it, I could do it. No, um, it's not stress because um, I disassociate. I like um, smoke weed and watch TV all day. So like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, think about it. <laughs> I can't think about it. Kara, do you feel about, do you think, are you, are you scared of failing? I mean, no, I feel like I always feel like I got to keep working. I mean, the pandemic's definitely been like anxiety provoking in that way. Cause like there are fewer jobs and stuff like that. But you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I just have to tell myself it's worked out this far. It might, it might just keep working out, you know, but I'm definitely. And it's fun. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, if you want to be a lawyer, you have to go to law school. Boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> medical school studying like the fun thing about comedy is like most of it's a good ass time so it doesn't even feel like work you know yeah but when did you I guess kind of then like when did you feel like you could do this like full-time and you didn't have to go back to waitressing or is that kind of like a thing that doesn't matter it could be like I should be prepared to waitress any given day of the week because I like the quote of, like, you don't want to have a plan B, because then if you know about it, you can always um, kind of give up on yourself and mm-hmm. know that that plan B exists. So from the start, there's no plan B. Um, but the moment I quit my day job was I got, I got I found out I was going to do, or did I tape it? I got a Comedy Central half hour, and I got passed at the Comedy Store, I mean, at the Comedy Cellar in New York. And I went, yeah, I don't want to babysit. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know how I finagled it, but yeah, once I got the half hour and the seller, I quit my day job. And Carrie, you're a little different because you were like in entertainment type stuff versus like doing yeah. it on the side. Yeah. So I had a job. So I, I had, there was like a moment in 2009, I'd been doing stand up for like one year and I actually got laid off from the, my production company job just because the whole place was like closing down. Mm-hmm. It was like, the 2008 like recession whatever it was like all the money was gone so I was like uh oh what am I gonna do and then I just was like I think now is the time I'm gonna just like stop trying to have a day job and I unless it's a day job that is like directly related to Mm -hmm. more entertainment and so I really just worked on stand-up and I and I nannied a little bit for extra money but like I just did stand-up for a couple of years and then I ended up getting jobs like doing social media at MTV, like stuff that felt like it was still kind of, I was writing and I was still kind of in the entertainment um, space. And that like, those got me job. Like I ended up through MTV 
I ended up like writing some stuff for the guy code blog and then I ended up writing for girl code and it's like you know it's it was all just kind of being in the in the world that was good even though I still kind of went to an office and checked in you know what I mean but like it felt like they were fun jobs so although I got yeah I gotta say some of my jobs in entertainment have been terrible um Then you have to want to do it because sometimes people are like, like you get packet like to write packets, and I'm like, I don't want to do like if I don't even want to write the packet, why am I trying to write? I also think people are confused thinking they have to do things when they don't have to do it. Yeah, Mm. it's like I got to write for a show, or like I had one friend, he's like, ugh, I got to work on this pilot. I'm like, if you don't want to write a pilot, why are you doing it? He's like, my agents are making me. I'm like, well, no show will ever get picked up if you hate making it. Yeah, right. You know, so. It's like this idea of like, oh, I have to write in a room or I have to do this. And I very early on was like, I don't have the skills or the, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write. Right. Yeah. That's not my path. And I'm not going to concern myself. Sure. And I'll just be happy with people who are writing for Jon Stewart. But that ain't, that's not the gig for me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's int- You're very self-aware in that way. Because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't care. I'll write for a sports show. I've never even seen a football. Like, <laughs> like I'll do whatever. Uh, but it, that's interesting what you said about Plan B, Lisa. It just remember, remi- reminded me one of my first dates with my husband, who is a stand-up comedian who has had like a half hour and all these things. I was at, we were eating before doing sets at a comedy club, and I was like, so, um, so I was like, so what's your Plan B? And he was, got so pissed and was like, I don't have a fucking Plan B. This has to work out. And I was like, <laughs> okay, because I was so new to comedy that mm-hmm. I was like, that's crazy. You got to have something to fall back on. And I really think it's better to go forward not without, like, I sort of changed my tune after that because I was like, hey, he's right. You got to want to do it more than where you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, you know? Yeah. I, you she- are bombing and you are getting rejected. Like, I auditioned dozens of times a month. Like, mm-hmm. it's like so many. And so you... Uh, you know, audience members are yelling at you or someone says something crazy in a meeting or like everyone's trying to get you to stop in a way. Like, <laughs> so if you have a plan B, it could, it could be easy to hop off in a way. Cause, um, everyone's fighting against you. Yeah. You on your date reminds me, Nicole Byer on her podcast, she like talks about how like sometimes she'll go on dates and pe- she'll be like, I'm a comedian. They're like, yeah, but like, what else do you do? Because, like, the idea that, like, you can't make money from doing comedy or it's only for, like, a set certain so people. she's so famous. She, that is, okay, that still baffles me. I was like, how do you not know who she is? Yeah, that might be, that, maybe those are dates from before she was, like, nailed it. Because that's, like, you're... You need to not go out with that person. They have amnesia or something. Because how do you, but, like, I feel like I, <laughs> I remember her from her, like, girl code days, and I remember thinking then, I was like, oh, I love her. Like, oh, yeah. that, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I love her. And when people didn't know who she was, like, I got personally offended on her behalf. This one I've never met before. <laughs> and I was like, how dare you? How dare you not know she, who she is? And I was like, Talia, calm down. It'll be okay. I was like, it never will be okay. <laughs> Um, but I think also, Lisa, what you were talking about, like not wanting to write, I think that's interesting because I feel like half the time when I know stand up comics or like watch people perform comedy, they're also writers. Like, well, I write my stand up, and I think I could be um, a positive gal in a fun room. I don't know. You can write <laughs> in a room. There, there, are, there are tons of shows that would benefit mm-hmm. from having someone like Lisa in the room, but like, yeah, I don't know, like, 
yeah I'm not writing my I can't yeah you're not like here's my opus and I'm writing it by myself at my computer Mm -hmm. yeah like you know (laughs) it's just no I like teamwork um my manager we have the same manager she said to me once she's like it's impossible to be good at everything so it's good to know what you're good at and then Mm -hmm. work with other people who are good at the things they're good at like there's no point of like forcing yourself to be good at something when Mm -hmm. you just work with someone that's great at it why you know why not do that well our and we have the same agent and they just asked me they were like um is late night an interest for you and I'm like honestly no I think I told myself for so long I'll do anything I'll Mm -hmm. do any I'll write any I've submitted so many freaking packets for late night shows and I have no I hate late night I think it's dead medium I don't like I don't really think anybody is that great at hosting it I, I, I like when was the last time for Andy Cohen okay uh, to me that's different that's like a yeah. different thing <laughs> but you know what I mean like the, yeah. the proper network late night shows uh, those men are all charming men I guess whatever I, I don't want to watch that and so why would I want to write for it so I just told them that and they were like good to know you know like they shouldn't want to be forcing a square into a circle you know and then they could pick up those like so seth sorry she said no um sorry Sorry, jimmy she's one of the several jimmies it could be working in that's also very true (laughs) (laughs) so that's so i mean i guess that's interesting because once again i would assume that like if you get on the late night track like that would be chef's kiss it's for some people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good. And my husband did it for, my husband worked for James Corden for three years, and he was like, okay, I'm ready to move on. And I don't think he's trying to go over to Fallon or, like, go to another. He's like, I'm I'm done with that part, you know? Like, it's definitely, like, people that write set-up punch jokes are going to be very good at that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely not, it's not necessarily my, yeah, I just, like, writing jokes about Trump or, like, what's going on in the news is just not my thing. And it really hurt a lot of people's brains, like, because they were dealing with all this trauma of the 2016 election and yes. everything that went in, and then they had to read the news every single day at work and then write bits about it and then live the nightmare and then go back to it's um It's pretty grueling. There's a reason they get paid as much as they do. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I... Yeah, and you're coming up with, like, probably, like, 80 jokes a day, and maybe one of them is making it onto TV. It's just, like, yeah, you have to... And it's harder than to then do stand-up, which was always kind of my number one priority. Like, I want to yeah. be able to perform at night. So, that's a different thing. But I'm trying to work on a show right now. I mean, you know. <laughs> it comes and it goes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, what? how would you both of you, like, describe your comedy style? Like, are you, like, narrative storytellers? Do you, like, draw your audience into a story and then you're just like and then you hit them with a one-two punch or like i had a friend who's now an enemy but he said that my (laughs) comedy is uh just a one-way phone conversation like me leaving. (laughs) (laughs) that's so fucking good yeah (laughs) oh true yeah i just need to talk uh and hopefully there's some bits of <laughs> and um, I uh, kind of not copy my idol, but David tells my favorite, and so he has a lot of punchlines. So my yeah. goal is always to like try to get as many punchlines in while just talking about my life and feminism and things. Well, because I was someone asked me once too, and I was like, I talk about feminism and social issues, and they're like, you talk about yourself. You talk about yourself. And that's <laughs> What's the problem? I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then Kara, too, I feel like you're from life, lots of punchlines. Yeah, I just, I do just, like, observational, but, like, yeah, Lisa, you have, I, I don't have as many punchlines as you. Like, Lisa, I just saw her do stand-up again, and it had been a while because of pandemic and stuff. She did my show, and I was like, 
you barely have time to like take a breath she's like just like hammering you with punchlines it's awesome but um yeah i'm i will sort of i have a couple bits i feel like maybe from i'm not very i don't really love storytelling shows that much but i've done a few of them so i have a few bits that are like a longer bit where it Mm -hmm. takes a while to get to the punchline but i'm not but not that's not like my i wouldn't call that my style or anything more observational just what do you think, like, the kind of the biggest um, misconception that people have about comedy or getting into that world? Like, what do you think it is? Biggest misconception that it's like, a, you'll be rich? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or like, or a lot of what we were just talking about before, that you're just waiting for this one moment to hit and you'll be mm-hmm. a consumer. Or you're waiting for this, like, one big break and you're going to be, and they don't understand that it is, like, just a series of breaks, mm-hmm. you know, like... I, there's like the old uh, why don't you just go be on SNL like this shit that's like people just think that's a misconception that that's everybody's dream goal is to like mm-hmm. get on SNL I think that's not everybody's and that's not that's not realistic because they take like one person a year um but yeah I it's don't know, kind of like about the boat thing where uh, Bill Burr is a singer it's like you don't want to own the boat that's too much work you want to know someone with a boat and that's how SNL is. You don't want to work those hours, but you want to go when Miley Cyrus is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> not you want to get invited to the after party with your friends, but you don't want to be there Wednesday at 4 a.m., you know, writing a sketch. But so, the, the people that work there are incredible. I, like, uh, really admire a lot of the people that are there. Yeah, and we have friends that are on it, and, and, and it's I watch it religiously. Like, I love SNL, but I just think it's so funny that that's, like, every aunt's... Uh, like touchstone for comedy it's like are you gonna be on snl are you gonna see you up there on snl like it's just so funny to me when i yeah if you're talking about like misconceptions to Mm -hmm. me that's like a misconception that that's like you know that there aren't i don't know other successes and stuff and maybe people do know this but i think there's more mental illness in comedy than maybe other than people know from the outside and a lot of people they're sad Sad. are sad and are not fun to talk to off stage. I mean, yeah. I have, uh, there are a lot of comedians that are like, I met him once and he wasn't funny in conversation. I'm like, yeah, that's just not a requisite. Like, you can be funny on stage and not be a funny person off stage, and that's a lot of people I've met. I feel like, like after you're more darkly funny. Or, yeah. Yeah, it's like a different... Well, you're just a normal person, so you can't always have a good time, but like after shows when people want to hang out and party, they're like, Bleh! and I'm like, I won't be doing that. Like, no. I'll, be, I'll be on my phone like we could go out but I don't know what you're expecting <laughs> no exactly like I I could be funny talking to a group but like college parties for me were like horrible like my friends would be like oh this is Natalia she's really fun she's funny she's smart and I would fully sit on the couch and play Candy Crush and drink a Capri Sun um, because I was just like there's too many people and they're all gonna do the what's your major and I was like do you need to know do you wanna yeah, know yeah I, but I totally get that, and I think that, I don't know, at least at least I feel like that's something I knew about comedians, is, like, a lot of them do have a, I don't want to say tortured past, but, like, do you have, like, mental health issues and, like, deal with that? Because I feel like a lot of them talk about it in their stand-up. They do it in a funny way, but I feel like they talk about it, and I think, like, is it Neil Brennan's hour on Netflix where he does, is it Three Mics? Is it Neil Brennan? Yeah. That was brilliant to me I loved that that stand-up because like I think it it kind of showed the all the issues that like a lot of comedians deal with and it was it was more serious but it was still funny and I think the same thing um when Nanette came out that same type of like 
comedy setup. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. Do you do y'all think that's somewhere that comedy could be going? I think vulnerability and honesty is what audiences kind of crave now and comedians want to be a part of. And I think um, the old school of like bits, bits, bits does it will not um, sustain your life for that long because people do want to get to know you. And so I do feel like personal jokes and more honest and vulnerable is like the direction that mm-hmm. comedy is going. And obviously there's like an Anthony Jeselnik and there are some, or a Natal who aren't vulnerable, but they're like masters of their craft. So it's different. But I think a lot of people that are like, why won't no one come see me? And it's like, well, cause you're just doing bits and no one knows who you are. So why would anyone be a fan of you or yours or care? Um, you're kind of you go back to the eighties. You're like a comedy robot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're thinking of the same person as I talk about this. <laughs> Do you, do you find it hard though, I guess, kind of to like separate your life? Cause I think now with like social media and like people do wanting to know who they're fans of and everything about them, do you find it a little hard to kind of, um, keep some of yourself to yourself? That's not really my personality. So yeah, (laughs) I, I, I find, um, the privacy thing. I I just don't, um, yeah, I don't key into it as much as people. I, I totally understand that, but like people that are like, I show my kids online. I don't know. I just don't, I don't care. I, but, but I know that that is important for other people. So I'm not like, I'm not um, denigrating it in any way. I just, I'm like, yeah, for me, I'm like, I'll, I'll tell, but I will say like, there was a, a, the first five, six years I did comedy, I was definitely trying to not, I was not being super personal. And I think, uh, I'm every day I try to be more personal you know like Lisa I would say is all fully out there I'm trying yeah. to get more out there um for sure why do you and think I also get it like you're super famous not wanting someone to know mm-hmm. what's up but that's not really yeah because like I, I'm wondering guess kind of why that is like not I guess because I'm also on that wave of like I don't need everybody to know my business but like do you feel like you kind of have to because comedy needs to be vulnerable and personable I just don't, it's not a conscious decision for me in any way. way. I just, Mm. um, you know, try to be myself and in the moment. And I am someone that is open. Like, I talk about myself a lot. So, I don't, um, even when something, like, I did think I had herpes. I didn't. And, like, one of the first, (laughs) it was just razor burn. But but I did make an emergency appointment. But, like, my first thought after, like, oh, what am I going to do was, like, I'm going to hate having a secret I can't talk about on stage. So I guess I'm going to have to tell people. And then I'm like, what am I going to feel when everyone knows I have herpes? Like that sucks. And so I was glad I didn't get it. Cause I don't know if I could have kept it a secret, <laughs> um, but I didn't want people to know. And then there are comics who talk about their herpes on stage now. Oh, and it is yeah. pretty, like uh, cool. But so yeah, sometimes when things happen and I don't want to share, I'm like, Oh, this is bad. This is <laughs> like so I, I can't believe I didn't ask you all this earlier, but like, how did you guys meet? We we just met doing comedy. I remember, like, I lived in New York for a like I did was doing comedy in New York from 2008 to 2016. I moved right at the beginning of 2016, and like in 2015, is that when you moved, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. 2015, like my last year in New York, like all these Chicago people came, and so I was like hearing about all of them. 
and I definitely heard Lisa was very funny, and, like, so I had her on my show at one point, but we had met a couple times before that, probably just in passing, mm -hmm. and then I remember her coming to do my show in the green room. We, were, we actually started talking about how we both love Law & Order, so kind of connected there but yeah just doing comedy and stuff and we have a lot of friends in common yeah and then Kara became close friends with one of my close friends and that kind of was just like oh okay cool yeah and my husband had lived in Chicago so he knew a lot of people that Lisa knew so it's you know it's a big it's a big incestuous like group of people <laughs> that all know each other and, you know so yeah. yeah just do comedy just do like just knowing everybody yeah totally and then you and came now we live in the same neighborhood and can you walk to each other's houses? She is my child's favorite person. Yes. I I think that's honestly one of my favorite things. I like to hear every week um, on the podcast, like, updates about how Rosie is obsessed with Lisa. <laughs> but, like, what's, like, the new thing that she's obsessed with Lisa about? It makes me very happy. <laughs> well, the new one's a little wild. She is just showing me her butthole. But... <laughs> well, she's pantsless a lot because of her because of her body training and so she'll just be kind of like lying spread eagle and be like hi Lisa it's like just funny but that's how little kids are though I used to my old um, neighbors from DC like they had a little daughter and when I had moved there she was like two and so I watched her grow up a lot until she was like six like five six and she would just some she would just come out and just flash me or she'd be like can you come in the potty with me I have to poo yeah. And I'm like, honey, I don't want to, I don't want to smell your poo. She's like, but you have to. But why? They don't know. <laughs> they think their shit doesn't stink. Those but it does. But it very much does. <laughs> the world smashes all of that out of them. Their joy and their happiness. Well, hopefully that has, doesn't happen to Rosie. So no, nothing's, nothing's slowing her down so far. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, great that you brought up Law & Order, because I definitely want to ask about SVU, Law & Order, That's Messed Up, the podcast. So, walk me through, how did you pitch? How did you get on exactly right? And, you know, we're here now. Well, I, um, we, I feel like we've talked about it on the pod, but just anyone that listens to this that doesn't listen to us, like, we, I, I, I originally had another co-host. I originally, I came up with this idea and I had a friend named Jackie Zabrowski, who's a very amazing podcaster. She has a podcast called Page Seven. She's part of the last podcast on the left, like conglomerate and network and group of people. And um, her schedule ended up being messed up, like messed up. <laughs> and, uh, and Lisa was at my house because we were working on another project together. And she Which, that's another thing, misconception about comedy or entertainment. Things take forever. Yeah. Like that project we were working on still kind of working on it yeah like things <laughs> yeah. take making so a movie long. or a tv show it takes years and when i sold my pilot that went nowhere that I, it took me three and a half years to write it and that's obvious a lot of people can do it faster than me i'm just saying that is a misconception Shit yeah takes forever our deal for the podcast took forever, took forever. You know? mm. yeah it's just like a lot of you know bureaucracy and lawyers and stuff but so Lisa was at my house working on another project, and I was like, holy shit, you love Law & Order, don't you? Because I have this podcast idea, and we just started fucking, we just immediately were like, oh my god, yes. And then we told our, we told your manager, who at the time wasn't my manager, but who now is my manager, we told her. She started being like, okay, let's shop it around. I'm actually friends with Georgia and Karen, mm -hmm. like, separately, um, just through friends 
comedy friends like I've known them for pre- way predating the podcast but I didn't want to go to them as like a friend and be like will you do me this favor like, yeah on your network so we just went through full channels of like of, of like reps and doing it the business-like way so our rep brought it to Stitcher and there we kind of got linked up with um our producer Hannah she was at Stitcher and she was like, I was just thinking about how someone should do an SVU podcast. And we were like, great, like, let's, you know, so then. And she likes SVU a lot, which yeah. is important to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So then, and then um, we ended up pitching to a bunch of places in exactly where I wanted it. And we made a, we made a test episode, we made a pilot episode, um, gave it to exactly right. They loved it. And then, like, honestly, they, they gave us a green light in, like, August. And we did not, the first episode was not heard for a year a, a December, the following December. Oh my gosh. So over a year. So like the stuff just take, I mean us also making it, you know, like it just took a lot of time. You got to get the artwork, you got to do all this stuff, but then negotiations and law lawyers and all this stuff. So yeah, just stuff just is a little slow moving. And then, but we're really happy on exactly right there. The fans are, seem to have the ones that Obviously, we don't have as many murderinos, but the ones that love <laughs> SVU love SVU and like us, so that's great. We were able to plug into like a group of people that specifically are into what we are. Yeah, really, you know. <laughs> I was. I mean, when I well, one because I love I love my favorite murder, um, and I like a lot of their other shows as well. And then I found this was coming out, and I was like, well, of course I'm gonna have to listen to it I have no choice but to do um and and then that also put me on a binge of like well I may as well start from season one before the show comes out well and I don't know if I even realized um how deep and intense the fandom was so I I've loved being able to see everyone like all the fan accounts of SVU and all the fun collages and Etsy and everything that people make like yeah that was a whole new world because I got offended by someone once on Twitter and she goes um we're in the fandom it's kind of our vibe and I was like oh okay (laughs) no but But also we um we have people that listen to our podcast that don't watch the show some people write us and they say I've never laid eyes on a single episode of SVU which I don't understand how that's even possible because it's just on 10 channels that's what I like to think like the like the sun never sets on the SVU empire yeah it's just like <laughs> it's crazy and so to have avoided it for 22 years and then to listen to our podcast and have us tell you about it i mean thank you it's it's a compliment but it's like wild to me that people are not watching but listening i think that's crazy because like i've well because i've watched so many episodes of law and order svu i don't even always have to watch the episode that you're talking about like, cause I just remember, cause I've seen it so much. I'm just like, oh, okay. I re- maybe I don't remember the title, but then you start talking about the episode. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I just immediately know. And I think that that like that actually this that's a unique quality to SVU. I don't think any show it would be like that. I mean, maybe like Simpsons or something that's been so prolific, but just or that's on all the time that people are like, oh yeah, I've seen this one. Like once you start talking about it, you know. I mean, I can do that with Gilmore Girls, but I'm also obsessed with that show. So I am also able to, like, quote word for word that show. So that's a totally different thing. But how do I mean, how do y'all pick the episodes that you want to do? I know it's usually, like, ripped from the headlines kind of thing. But how do you, you know, really decide? 
So we each have our favorites that like we just want to do because we like them, and um, certain crimes that really interest us. Or Karen knows a lot about a, diff- a lot of different crimes. So some of us like, oh, I know a lot about this one. Like, I, let's do this episode. And then on top of that, it's like the celebrities we want to meet and like which guests we really want. And then we want to make sure there's a diversity of like the seasons, the mm-hmm. different types of crimes like it can't just always be you know a missing white woman you know like we want to make sure we're tackling different crimes but um also diversity of guests we want to have people that are different ages and colors and from different places and so that's important to us too and so all of those factors come into play how long does it take you to kind of like find an episode though that like meets all of that well, we have a huge spreadsheet. Like, mm. we have a full spreadsheet, and, like, we have the marked off whether they're based on a crime or not based on a crime. And then we also take into account fan requests. Like, we have a full yeah. tab in our spreadsheet that is the fan requests. And usually the fans are requesting stuff now at this point that are um, based on crime. Sometimes they're like, we do this classic one. We're like, well, we would love to, but it's not based on a crime. Yeah. So, um, you know, we just, and then we'll just kind of go through and be like, oh, we'd really love to talk to this person. They're in this episode. We haven't done an episode about XYZ. This one fits perfectly. Okay, put it on the list. We kind of go 10 at a time. Like, we'll be like, okay, here's the next 10 that we were trying, that we're looking at. And in the beginning, it was very precious. Like, I felt like, well, it was our first episodes, but it was like, oh my God, this one. And now it's like, just give me 10, I'll do it. I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, because we, we eventually are going to get through, like, I mean, there's 500 episodes of the show. There's probably 300 at least that are based on true crime. So it's mm-hmm. like, we got, we're going to get to them all, you know? Like we yeah. Can. That's so what I mean. When Kara sends them, I don't even have an, I'm like, yes. Sure. Because <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like, if you're saying there's about like 300 based on real crimes, because I was what I'm like, are they going to run out of ones based on crimes like that? Because it would I'm, be amazing, but unfortunately, crimes just keep on happening. So, <laughs> even the ones the where keeps, the show is like renewed for two more seasons. I mean, by the time this podcast is over, there will be five more seasons of SVU. I just that are newer are always based on crimes. You know? Crimes, so, yeah. I am just continuously, like, baffled that that show is still going. Not that I don't love it. I'm just, like, it's still going. They keep finding new ways to do it. Still scary, still smart, still shocking. Like, there, I mean, there are some episodes where I know I've seen them, and then there are the heightened moments, and I'm still, like, nervous. Still shaky. Well, I think they also, they shake it up a little bit sometimes. Like, they'll do, you know, there is the comfort of, okay, I know that by the end of this, there's going to be a trial, and I'm going to be, I'm mm-hmm. going to get what I want, I'm going to get my fantasy that the justice system works. But there's other ones, like this past season, they just did one where Liv was, like, in a restaurant with a woman having a COVID, a, the, the stress of COVID ruining her business holding her at gunpoint for the full episode. And that mm. was the whole episode. You know, there was no trial. There was no, you know, like, rape. Like, it was just, like, a true a thing that comes from... Like, I this episode made me cry, like, two times. I was like, people are so... are really hurting from this pandemic, and the yep. show is just tapping into that. So I yep. think that that's kind of... Even though they have the strike the right balance between the comfort format that you love, mm-hmm. but also once in a while doing something cool, doing an episode that feels like a movie, doing an episode that even crossing over with OC, you mm-hmm. know, like I, you know, I'm, I'm into OC. I'm watching that. Dick Wolf has me by the fucking balls. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I will say, all of my views. 
I will say that this most recent season, I'm I'm gonna have to go back to it, but I I couldn't. The first couple episodes, the mask wearing, when they would and wear, wouldn't yeah. wear a mask, it was just so chaotic. Like I couldn't handle it, and I was I was at the point where I was like googling and looking on Reddit threads. I was like, is anyone else? No, feeling the way constantly writing us stuff like that they were like are, can you guys talk about the mask usage it's crazy like, it's I, ma- like why is only iced tea wearing a mask why is like why are they in the hospital not wearing a mask why are we talking it like it was just so chaotic that i couldn't it was so distract because i know what was supposed you know what i mean yeah i was like i can't and you also know the actors are getting tested so it is safe and so it's like you know it's kind of like it wasn't even about like their sa- i mean that sounds really bad it's not about their safety i don't care but it was <laughs> it was more so just like the incons i was like are you trying to show that you will wear masks because it's covid or i was like either you need to pick a lane either we are in pandemic times or we're not and well, pandemic times. Like, I don't think SVU would ever ignore the pandemic. Like, I don't think they'd be like, in this New York, there's no pandemic. Like, that's just not their style. Yeah. They've, they've, you know, they acknowledge 9-11. They acknowledge things that really happen in New York. So I don't think they would do that. But I think that they're asking us a little bit to suspend our disbelief and say, yes, it's a pandemic, but it's also a TV show. And we're paying these people a lot of money to show their faces. So do you mind if we just take the mask off for a few minutes? It was just so chaotic I that I just couldn't, my totally. spirit... It drove a lot of people crazy, and it's definitely um, distracting. Like it's you tough. notice it for sure. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back because I did I needed to see the Creasy and um, and Rollins kiss, and so I just That's watched the mean. clip of them kissing because I know is it no masks there is who Lisa you don't like Creasy. I love Creasy. Okay. So it's Carrie. Me I don't. I don't want to have sex with Carisi, but I get why other people do. Lisa doesn't like Rollins. You don't like. But, uh, I, but she's growing on me day by day. I love Carisi. I do. I he. I liked. I like him more than um. What's his face? Amaro. Yes. I never really. So I'm on a Danny Pino train right now. Like, <laughs> I, Amaro just sucked as a person, mm-hmm. so it was hard to get behind him. But now, like stepping away him being gone and then going back and watching it's like you are one of the hottest people i've ever seen oh yeah oh for sure 100 percent. very turned on by him the most at the moment of all the people (laughs) i just can't like his character just didn't do it for me i was like you're being you're doing a lot i think if his character had been somebody that was like i don't know like no, he shot unarmed teenagers. I mean, he couldn't yeah. have been worse. He like he was to squat, he treated his wife like a piece of shit. So I mean, like, bad. If he wasn't a good guy. He would be probably still on the fucking show. Like people yeah. would be. I'm not level. happy with um, the firings. I wish we got another oh, season. Yeah. Did you hear about this, Natalia? That Cat and uh, Yes. Barnes are gone. I'm just, I'm really upset about. I really liked Cat. I know, I don't think my sister did. I remember my sister being like, I don't like that new girl. I'm like, but she's great. I'm just like, no, I don't like her. She's annoying. It's the same with Rollins, and she's been on for like 10, I mean, you know, like you got to just give people a little bit of time to take root and like have a couple of episodes that are like focused on them and stuff. And I know she had like one or two, but like, get, I don't know. I thought she could have gone places. And I thought I, she would have been. And I wasn't a huge stan of, at, at all, but I was like, I, I am disappointed. I thought she could have had a little bit more time. I agree. I I read that, and I was, I thought at, 
I guess when I had read about it, I think it was just like a rumor at first that she wasn't coming back. But I now you're saying it's real. I'm I'm kind of sad because I actually really enjoyed her. I enjoyed like the energy she brought to the show and like, yeah. and I well, think then, she was then different. Be on the first episode, and then I think they exit from there. And I'm sure it's gonna be some kind of thing where she gets promoted to another unit or yeah. something. But like, I wish. Yeah. And then she was annoying, but I thought that Benson was gonna like teach her the ropes. Like that's yeah. what I thought was gonna happen. That she was going to get some attention and like become this the new great detective. I have a I wonder. This just popped into my head, but I wonder if Marishka is trying to find the next her, like the person mm. that could possibly take the series beyond her like if she leaves mm. because that's going to have to be somebody very very special and somebody that the audience really really resonates with because she's I mean she's definitely already signed on for two more seasons, but She's getting up there. She's got kids she probably wants to spend more time with. I don't know, you know, like, who knows? But 22 seasons, maybe she wants to cap it at 25. Who knows? And if they want to keep the show going after that, there's going to have to be kind of like a new baby Rollins. and I mean, a, a baby Olivia, and maybe they didn't see Kat as that. I mean, I, well, I feel you on that, because I'm like, I don't think Rollins could fill that role. I think she could step up. She could be, like, the next Finn. I could see her being, like, the next Finn versus, like, her being the next Olivia. Or just the new Rollins causing problems everywhere she goes. (laughs) Not following the rules. Right. Right. I know. I mean, like, Ice-T, to me, could become the new chief. And then maybe we're following, then maybe there's a new female detective that Mm -hmm. we're into. Mm -hmm. Because wasn't the main character at the beginning, you know? Marishka only is because she's Marishka. True, true, no, true. And Ice, like Finn, at least, he never wants to go to any crime scene. He no! <laughs> he needs to be a desk position, because he's always like, ah, I don't, why don't we go? <laughs> Finn is, like, ready. He's, he's like, all right. West Virginia for good reason, though. No, yeah. I, um, I... Did you see the, uh, the video of baby Chanel at Riot Fest with the body count? Oh, when she went out, yes, dancing? <laughs> so cute. So cute. Really she is just so freaking cute. She's just like so perfect and angelic with her little curls. And her mom just like taught her how to like hit a pose and like hit a hit a mark, and she's just so like cute that way. I love it. I like, it's like uh, not an obnoxious child actor. Like she just seems no. like she's like, what's up, baby Chanel, Chanel Nicole here. <laughs> I love I love Ice T being on the show. Like I'm glad he stuck around for so long. I guess, like, I feel like if I, I didn't, I guess I never would have expected him to stick around for as long as he has. Yeah, he's, like, he's a smart person. Like, Mm -hmm. he really just knows, like, oh, this is, like, I, I mean, the amount of money he's probably making is insane. And it also doesn't take away from him doing his music or any of that stuff. He's still out there doing shows. Oh, yeah. I wish they had kept Munch, though. I, like, I'm still never. He was tired. I think bells are left. I really don't feel like. Really? Because I thought he said, like, oh, they kind of just started writing me out. Oh. I don't know. He lives in Paris now. Oh, as one does. And he used to live on my block when he was on Law & Order. I used to see him with his dog outside this cafe on my corner. But he, he, I always assume, you know, I don't know the story behind that. We'll have to ask somebody next time we talk to them. But I him. We got to get him. Yes. Get, oh. 
When you had... Um, and we're going to Paris to do it in person, Lisa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> please, please do. Just have the Eiffel Tower just be the backdrop and do a video recording that day of the podcast. Oh, like, as, as, like, our podcast just has, like, accordion in the background. Yeah. <laughs> the sound of us eating brie. Yeah. The, whole, the whole time. Like, I would watch it. I would listen. That would be my favorite episode. I, You guys had on um, Stephanie March... Yeah. No, 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 not Stephanie March. You had um, yeah. Diane Neal. My gosh, I'm losing. Okay, in my no, dream no, life. Stephanie's in our in our sights. We want. Okay, her good, because she's. I mean, <laughs> Diane Neal is also amazing. I'm making it sound like Diane. Those are actually even harder to prep for. The ones where it's like, how do you even pick an episode? She's mm-hmm. like these. The regulars are great in all of it, and so um, you have to pick. And then you know to prep for an interview with someone that's in such so much good work it's like yeah uh, it's like oh they've been in 220 episodes of the show let's just pick their best one you know like it's <laughs> okay <laughs> and you don't want to miss anything and you want to make sure like oh were you slapped in the courtroom we got to mention it so um those are hefty undertakings and they're like so thrilling it's so exciting do you guys have like a i mean besides okay i should say besides mariska do you have a dream guest that you like want to manifest well, like Maloney like we'll do everyone that's not a regular cast yes. member yes um I would say both of us correct me if I'm wrong Kara we would we want Cynthia Nixon <gasps> she's right behind Lisa while we're talking oh, yeah. <laughs> yes oh my gosh her episode yeah so that's like a big one and then for me personally I really want Kate Menig um mm. she's from season four and she's from the L word she's Shane in the L word and hers is one of the, my most haunting episodes, but also I think she's just like a heartthrob, and I would love to <laughs> talk to her. Whatever. Has there yeah. been a favorite episode that y'all have done so far? I mean, when I was listening recently to Patrimonial Burden, I was mm-hmm. laughing. I was like, it was cracking me <laughs> up. Like, it's not even like that's one of my favorite episodes of the show or anything. It's like that's one of my favorite episodes of the podcast so mm. far. Um. Because we were just, like, having fun, and then we had a great guest who was so sweet and cool, and, like, I, yeah, so that, but, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Lisa? Well, there are some days where I do pat myself on the back, and I'm like, I really did a lot of good research, and um, (laughs) I feel proud sometimes where I'm like, I really found good information, and I'm glad, so there's some where I'm, like, proud of what I put out, Um, and then... Yes, uh, favorite episode. No, I don't know. It's kind of hard to listen to them, to be honest. The whole time listening, I'm like, "What's? Why do people like this?" You know, it's hard for me to. <laughs> it's hard to even understand that, like, why or um, yeah, why people. I like think we would understand us, why people like would it. like it if we hadn't already experienced it ourselves. When we mm-hmm. listen to it, we're re-listening to something that we already experienced ourselves. Like so. But I listen to podcasts where, I, you know, it's just two people that I kind of know in my life, and they're talking, and I, I can't get enough. I'm waiting every mm-hmm. week, so I understand that excitement. It's just kind of, like, flattering that it's us and that we get to <laughs> I think my favorite one, about things we care about. I think my favorite one is Patrimony. Is that is that the Duggar one? Yeah. Yes. That is my favorite episode that you guys have done. That's my so one. Fun. I love a cult religious family. I yeah. oh, we have a few more coming. So uh, yeah. let me tell you, let me tell you, if there's something that I will talk about for days on end, it's a cult, and my friends know that I will just at any point in time be like, you know, I love a good cult. And they're like, we know Natalia. It's weird. Yeah. 
we worried about I you. Know is, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but yeah, our episode that dropped today was Book of Esther, which, which is I on the Turpin family, and it's like we we love a religious cult family. We've I and I just watched that episode just cause like a couple weeks ago, cause cause I have a problem. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, Patchwork that was that was Those one of my favorites. Yes. I mean, a lot of the crimes make me sad, but I used to watch Wife Swap a lot. It was the show I enjoyed. I was also just because it's on Hulu now. Oh, good to know. But it's just sometimes you see these families that are so strict and they don't let children be children or think for themselves or become who they truly are in their hearts. And it's really hard to watch. It's yeah. it's so like it's really shocking to me. The one of the episodes I just watched was this really conservative family. It was they were an interracial couple, was like a super conservative family, and um, then they were, which I'm like, why well, saw you be out of pocket sometimes with some of these pairings that you do. They swapped them <laughs> with this like lesbian couple, and this woman, this black woman, she called them like dirty and like a pedophile at like you know that final like sit down that they do, and I was like, how do you fix your face to tell someone that because they're a lesbian? you were worried about them being around your children because you think they're a pedophile. Yeah. And I was like, and you just like, let that be. Wow. We talk about this, um, in the real housewives where they're bringing in like diversity, but they're not protecting those people. Exactly. So now you have these like Asian and black women being attacked, not even attacked, like by ignorant people that have power within the show been there forever and it's just like well here's one asian woman have at her and it's fucked up and that's how i feel with what you're saying about wife swap where it's like okay cool you have this lesbian couple and Mm -hmm. you're setting them up to be called pedophiles on television it's It's wild you have to protect the people you're bringing in to make yourself better some of the things like some of the families that i think they just swap just like it hurts my heart because i'm also just like I don't, I know everything's always exaggerated for TV. Like, I'm not silly. But I'm also just like, really? Like, mm. really, really? Because, like, some of these things are just, like, super out of pocket. And I don't know, because obviously I don't remember, like, what the marketing back then was was like for that particular episode. But, like, anything of, like, hey, we don't condone that type of talk. We know that this is not... Correct. We know this isn't like a real thing. This is not how people should actually behave. Because to me, it was just so wild and so jarring, like watching it. I'm wondering if I had like watching it back then. What was that like 2004 or something? Like if I would have been as jarred or if like the audience would have been as jarred watching it. Yeah, I was all the time because to me, like they would take like like a strict religious family um, with so many rules and regiments. But then they would swap them with like a family with 28 pets and the house is a mess and there's no rules and everyone's obese. Right. And so then they switch and it's like, of course this religious family is like, Oh, we got it. Look at that. <laughs> we hate yeah. them. And then there's no chance to grow. And then these kids are stuck in a religious fanatical home. It's like, why don't you get someone with maybe five pets, not 28. And maybe <laughs> someone that cooks a few meals at home or like, cause these people aren't going to, they're not inspired by this family because mm-hmm. it is dirty or whatever, or they're not healthy or something. And so then you just feel bad for these children that will never be able to have fun again versus, but that's, yeah, it's like a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's a missed opportunity. You could have shown, you could have shown these religious people like, like a different way their kids could live. I still think that could be good television though. You know, it could for be, sure. you just have to 
do it effectively. Or it's like a capitalist family that, again, too many rules, too many chores for the kids. They have to make their beds, like, military style. But then the family, the other family is like a magician who lives in a van. And it's like, <laughs> okay, this isn't helping anybody. Um, but I did see one. I, I, my favorite are when the husbands cry because they realize how amazing their wives are. Mm -hmm. that there was, like, a dairy farmer. And he's like, I just miss my partner. And then their marriage was, like, transfixed. And he appreciated her more than ever before. And I... Oh, yes. And he, she had to chop the wood in the morning at like ungodly yeah. hours. Yes. I also just, <laughs> my, my new favorite pastime is trying to investigate online. Like what happened to these families <laughs> and these people? I mean, people like have like murdered their parents from that show. There's like, what? yeah, you didn't. There's like one kid. Oh, okay, girl, drama. <laughs> the tea is hot. They, one of them, one guy, like, murdered his mom and his brother. They were in this, like, folk singing band. And this was, like, this happened, I think, a few years ago. And I think there was another, there was one other family, I think, that had a murder happen. And I was like, mm, see, that worries me. Damn. That worries me. Murder. <laughs> Are you Googling it now? Of course. <laughs> It's just, I mean, but talking about diversity in, in film and I think comedy, I think we, at least in my opinion, from the people I know in entertainment and what I've seen, it does seem like there is a push to be more diverse, but I do think that there is complexity in how it's trying to be diverse because I feel like sometimes it's like, let's just toss somebody in there so mm -hmm. we can say we're diverse versus like actually making it diverse, like who's in well, the writer's the room. Have to write for a white audience in a white show, you know. Yeah. So it's like you're also having to hide your diversity in a way and like switch it so it still works for white people, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, or it's like a black show and the showrunners are all white and the people that passed it, and then it's like all of a sudden there's a jail storyline for no reason, and you're like, who came up with this? I want to go back. I mean, I always say this, like, I, I want to go back to the 90s where, like, you just had a bunch of, like, black families shows and they weren't necessarily written for a white audience. They were just written for how they were written. And I don't think we give enough credit to that because, like, I can still watch those shows and crack up hysterically. And so do a lot of other people from all different backgrounds. But I don't think those shows were ever necessarily trying to, like, placate to a quote-unquote white No, and I audience. watched them all. I watched Moesha. I watched Family Matters. I watched Fresh Prince. Um, like Cosby's. Yeah. Uh, Living was, Single. Mm -hmm. Different World. That I watched later in life. But, like, it was, I was never watching it being like, this doesn't reflect my life. Like, I, I just watched it. But now with Black, yeah. it's like, what if there was a white? Like, yeah, there's, like, so much, but, like, political something that put on it when it could mm -hmm. just be a show it could you i i like I to think about it in the 90s i like to think that bernie mac the bernie mac show walks so blackish can run <laughs> and because okay but like i encourage everyone to go back and watch the bernie mac show because that was that show was it was it was it was it it set up that like having a moment of a talking head 
doing the voiceover thing, his circumstance was, like, I think something really indicative that can happen in the black community of taking in kids that you are related to, but, you know, it's, like, a relative's kids, but put him, like, kind of in this very rich environment. He was still Bernie Mac, and, like, how do you adjust to that and what that looks like? But it was still a comedy, and I don't necessarily think it was written for a white audience, which I wouldn't see Bernie Mac doing. Um, And it was an amazing show. It was an amazing show, and he's definitely someone that we lost way too soon. Um, Yeah, like, Insecure, I think, is so good and relatable and great. So good. uh, They got to do it. Because I went to, I talk about this a lot, I talk about it on the podcast, I'm sure, but I went to a Paley Center event for the Robin Thede show, and Lauren Ashley Smith um, was the head writer, Mm -hmm. and she's incredible. She has, like, an overall at CBS now, and she's super talented, and she was saying, like, writing for BET was the first time she got to just, like, be black in a room mm-hmm. she just never had that before and that never occurred to me until i heard her say that it's but yeah, yeah i forgot that in the 90s it was just like here's some shows and really good show the jamie fox show which i feel like we also don't talk about enough yeah the um, steve harvey show where he's uh, like a music teacher yes I watched, uh, the wayne's brothers and the hotel yes these are I shows that I mean, In Living Color was, like, my favorite show of mm, all fucking time. Mm, I might be a mm. little bit young. I mean, I'm a little older, but, like, I was obsessed. I'm um, also an 85-year-old woman, so <laughs> I've, I, people, I mean, this is not a black person, but Angela, Angela Lansbury is the greatest actress of our generation. I refuse <laughs> to be told otherwise. Um, <laughs> so, regardless. But, yeah, I just, like, I want TV and film to be more like that where you're just having these shows because so often I had to grow up a lot looking at shows that um didn't have black characters in them or if they did it was like always the sidekick the funny best friend you know um and also just like more body size representation and ability size representation like I we're in this weird phase now where I feel like if if there's a black person they have to be like a love interest they're always light-skinned always have like the ringlet hair and like that's kind of the only thing that's presented as desirable but it's like oh hey look skin's a little tinted so it's diverse <laughs> um, friend, um more Kara's friend but ashley b her show i thought had some of like the best casting i've ever seen and it made me feel like why don't other shows just have different people everywhere what her shows? show is called this way up it's on hulu oh it, and it's um, from the uk it's oh, a uk show okay. i think it, a lot of uk shows i don't know aren't just they, I think they do. Shows, uh, I May Destroy You is, like, one of the best things I've seen in, like, a decade. It's, I was so happy for Michaela. Like, that show, like, touched me so much. I mean, one, she looked phenomenal um, yeah. at the Emmys. Let's, yellow is every black woman's color. But, <laughs> um, but that, I mean, that show just spoke volumes in yeah. so and, many I mean, ways. Chewing Gum was amazing, too. Like, yes, I, I never watched Chewing Gum, but... But I think, I mean, I I agree, like, UK shows do a lot better job of that. And when I was younger, I used to watch, like, more, like, British television. And I remember Skins, the good one. Because when they try to bring it here, it was some foolishness. Oh, yeah, I heard. And I will forever be upset. But that, sh- I just remember, like, looking at that show, number one, the cast was, like, age appropriate. And the cast was actually diverse in a way that made sense. And there wasn't... Are you ever disappointed by SVU? I am. Yeah. I definitely am. Um, 
especially because it was interesting when you were talking about like trying to get diverse episodes and characters and guests on the show and I'm like that must be so tricky because a lot of times it is a lot of white people yeah especially Um, in the first like 14 yeah it's a lot of white folks and also there's definitely a very stereotypical role that black and brown folks play when they are guest stars on the show and Mm -hmm. I think like the narrative also has to change being like from oh we're gonna put like a black person on the screen and then they're gonna be a teacher or a lawyer they have to be in this prestigious role and that like which is good but it also shows that you really don't understand there's a lot of nuances to black and brown folks we can be a lot of different things and you don't just have to portray us as thugs or as lawyers there's an in-between to just be people Mm -hmm. And I see that, I mean, that's a problem with, like, a lot of shows, not just SVU. But I think it was, the is it the first, it's the first episode, I think, of season 22 where Mariska talks about her own biases and stuff. And she's saying, like, oh, Mariska, Olivia, like, I know her personally. Um, she's talking about, like, her own biases and she's like, have I been biased? And I never thought I have. And I agree that's definitely something that needs to be talked about. I don't know. I feel like I would have changed how they did it just a little bit. It was a little too in your face. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know. I am not yet a professional writer on a hit show, so who knows? Um, <laughs> but I think they could have changed it a little bit. And I do think, I think Ice T, early in earlier seasons, more talked about the differences in race on the show and would talk about black life and what it was like to be a black. I, he talked about it like more in a more nuanced and better fashion in earlier seasons, but I feel like they haven't really done that as much since, um, in these like newer seasons, if that makes sense. No, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. There, there, there are some, it's, it's interesting. Cause like in the, like I was, I I mean, I was saying, I think the, the more recent seasons, they, will show, I will do a little bit more about what you're talking about, uh, where, yeah, you're right though. It is a lot of like, it's either, it's uh, pandering a little. It's either drug mm-hmm. dealers and criminals or they're like the top of their class and the, the exceptional person or whatever. And, uh, but like when we did rooftop, that's an episode that has like, it's like taking place in a black neighborhood with black victims, black perpetrators, black, uh, but, but also I think you saw a little bit more of that. People yeah. are just like, we want to hold, where's the accountability for our neighborhood? You know, like, so they, they, they have hit it before, but you're right that there could always be more and they could always, everyone could be doing more. And that's what I think what comes with having a diverse writer's room because black folks can write about black folks in a way because it's a lived experience versus someone who thinks they know what that experience will look like. And it's not saying that only black people can write black people shows, but it's just like you have such a narrow mind or you have such little experience with other people that aren't you that it just comes up in your writing. Because like I grew up in Connecticut, which is permanently white. So like I feel like I can write like what it's like to be in a white high school and da 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 and capture that experience because I had to spend so much time around people. I went to a PWI for college and for grad school. So like all of that, like I, I've had to live that experience where I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of my white friends could say the same in reverse growing up around a bunch of different people. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we did interview um, for one of our podcasts, um, Samantha Corbin Miller, who is a black female writer for the show. Um, I forgot her name, but the, one of the women who has written the, some of the darkest, darkest mm-hmm. episodes is a black woman. She unfortunately doesn't do podcasts. We've tried to get her, but um, <laughs> maybe it's better. I'm not saying her name, but like, so I know that the show has tried to have like, you know, ha- has tried that, but I don't know. I don't even know who they have now. So I don't know what the what the diversity of the room looks like, but at the same time, it's also, um, yeah, it's not it's really a writer's not, room show. Mm. It's also, like, it's not that, not that deep, but it's, like, they're making it harder and more complicated than it needs to be overall, where it's, like, just do blind submissions. Just read a blind, like, cover the names, read the packets, pick the best people, and I swear, I promise you, it will not all be white dudes. I mm-hmm. promise. Like it's impossible. Yes. It's not going to end up that way. And any room that ends up doing that, it always ends up being a diverse space because mm-hmm. of you know Marishka, what she was talking about, like all these un um, unchecked biases that. And that happens have. in every field. Like a good friend of mine works for the CFPB. And he was talking about, and he was, like, he was in charge of, like, hiring interns. And he's a, he's a white guy, but he's lovely. Um, and <laughs> he was talking about how when they, one year they started to take away the pay for interns. They were, like, they decided we're not going to do paid internships anymore. And he's, like, our demographic changed so much in who applied. It was only white guys. And they all went to, like, the same oh. school. When they took away the money. When they took away the money. He's like... When I, when, I, when I was a page at NBC, right before I left, I went to one of the head of HRs there, happened to know my mother mm-hmm. from Connecticut. And so my mom was like, go see him. Like, he wants to meet you. And he was like, so tell me about your experience with the page program. And I said, well, you guys got to pay us more. Like, you're only getting a very certain amount of people, a, a certain style of person whose parents can pay for them to live in New York City. Or who can, and there were a lot of people of color in my program to, who expressed that to me. They were like, I'm living with my aunt. Like, I'm, like, yep. I, we cannot live off of this, this amount of money. And what the work you're making us do, I'm saying you're losing out as a program because you're not getting the applicants that you could be if you paid people. Like, you're getting rich, privileged people or people who have an aunt or who have someone that can support them while they're in New York City. No, like it's... 10 bucks an hour. So I was, I was just a desk assistant in the D.C. Bureau for NBC and loved the people I worked with, loved my job. But, like, I was, for a while, for the first, like, year of the program, I was the only black person or person of color not living with, like, a family member. And there were so few of us. And I think by the time I left, there was only one other black person had gotten hired. Because, like, we don't get paid anything. And they know this. So I can say it. Because I said this in my exit interview and throughout my two and a half years being there. Y'all need to pay us more. Um, Shout out to my friends that are still there. I'm praying for y'all. Like, you have to. Because it, it it automatically eliminates so many people from being and breaking into the world. Because you can't afford to live on such little money and they're all delusional and refuse to acknowledge it because acknowledging this will in their terms like take away that they worked hard yes you know what I mean? yeah. so it's like all of a sudden it's like oh are you saying i didn't work hard for this and it's like yeah i'm saying your parents are rich <laughs> so, 
less oppressive. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not a meritocracy. And a lot of people like Jimmy Kimmel did an interview and they want to believe it's a meritocracy because they want to believe that they've earned it and mm-hmm. they deserve it more than others. And that's just not the truth. No. So yeah, I'll be the first to tell you the only reason I could even do a pit in the page program was because I had a rent stabilized apartment mm-hmm. where I also had a roommate in it, even though it was a one bedroom. I was in a bunk bed situation in my 20s. <laughs> and like, and I had a family friend, multiple family friends who worked at NBC and helped me get the job. I mean, helped exactly. me get the interview. I like to think I sold myself in the interview, but who even fucking knows? They could just like the person that recommended me. Like, I don't exactly. Know. Um, and so. We've gone way over time, which is totally fine because I told you rants happen. But um, thank you both so much for being here. The one last question that I ask all my guests is, how do you define being a woman or womanhood? Oh, that's such a tough question. (laughs) I define my womanhood, my life, um, I would say, like, empathy relationships, like, talking friendship, like, um, yeah being able to create meaningful relationships. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> having tits, um, <laughs> putting together fun outfits. Um, yeah. Being caring. I don't know. What yeah. a bad answer. I have no idea. What are you going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Um, I just love women. I just, I mean, women are my favorite comedians. Women are my favorite people to watch in TV, on movies, like anything, like going, going out. I'm always like, I don't care if husbands are coming. I just, I don't know. I just like love women. And so for me, it's like, yeah, it's, I think women are so powerful and they're connectors and they make things fucking happen. And, uh, well, Karen and I were joking yesterday and she liked this. I said, if all, if, um, all the women acted like men with their children, all the babies would be dead. Yeah. (laughs) So it's this thing of like, yeah, the most capable people that are truly like making the world grow and be better. (laughs) (laughs) I truly, like, I know this sounds, like, really, really dorky, but, like, I watch Moana with my daughter, like, all the time, and my husband pointed out, like, not to spoil the end of Moana, but, like, there is a moment where Moana is approaching this fire monster, and she just approaches the monster as a woman, the way a woman would, and not the way a man would, like, Mm -hmm. not with all this, like, with fighting and violence, And that's how the whole fucking movie gets solved. Like, that's how the whole thing... And my husband's the one that pointed that out to me. He goes... I'm like, the moment at the end where she goes up to Takad and tells him this is not... And tells her this is not who you are. Well, we think it's a man, but it's actually a woman. Like this is not who you are. You have trauma. And, and I know that you can, you, you can get past this. That's when the monster goes away and becomes this beautiful sprouting green Island. <laughs> I just like, it's because she approaches it the way a woman would approach things. Like, honestly, sometimes when I see things in government or problems going on in the world, I'm like, has a woman ever taken a crack at this? Like, that's always like where my mind goes immediately. So I don't no, know. So much of our being and culture as women has been like suppressed and, um, diminish and like set you know you shouldn't like our qualities are like oh great you're crying instead of celebrated and so it's like um constantly having to rise above to celebrate who we are I love that I mean those answers make sense and I've never had someone do a Moana reference so like I'm super <laughs> here for it there you go Ladies, happy to provide. <laughs> thank you so you're much welcome. thank you what so much <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like, I mean, you you both have been amazing. 
getting us up this early. <laughs> Do you Thank have anything? You of course. Do you have anything you want to shout out, give kudos to you before we head out? If you like SVU and you like true crime and you've enjoyed a moment of what we've said, please listen to our podcast. That's messed up. It's on SVU podcast on the Exactly Right Network. You can get it wherever you podcast. But we're both on social media if you want to follow us on Instagram. She's Glitter Cheese. I'm Kara Clank. That's all for me, Lisa. Yeah. That, that yeah. works. <laughs> um, awesome. I will link all of this in the show notes. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, please connect to the show on Twitter and Instagram at prettyfacelady3. And then go ahead and send me an email if you want to say hi, want to come on the show at, pretty, at uh, prettyfacewoman at mtapfpodcast.com. And talk to you soon.